Hi, it's Cooper. I'd like to know a little bit more about you, the listeners. So I made a little survey. It's just four tiny questions and should take about one minute to complete. The link is at the top of the show notes. Thank you so much, and let's get on with the show. Hi. My name is Cooper, and this is A Little English. Every episode, I read a short story. After the story, there are three tiny lessons. And welcome to Season 2. This season, we are reading Science Fiction Stories by Philip K. Dick. I have to warn you, these stories are not for kids. There aren't any bad words or anything, but they're pretty dark. I'll talk more about Philip K. Dick at the end of the story, but yeah, spooky. Happy Halloween. The Hanging Stranger, Part 1 Five o'clock, Ed Loyce washed up, tossed on his hat and coat, got his car out, and headed across town towards his TV sales store. He was tired. His back and shoulders ached from digging dirt out of the basement and wheeling it into the backyard. But for a 40-year-old man, he had done okay. Janet could get a new vase with the money he had saved, and he liked the idea of repairing the foundations himself. It was getting dark. The setting sun cast long rays over the scurrying commuters, tired and grim-faced, women loaded down with bundles and packages, students swarming home from the university, mixing with clerks and businessmen and drab secretaries. He stopped his Packard for a red light and then started it up again. The store had been open without him. He'd arrive just in time to spell the help for dinner, go over the records of the day, maybe even close a couple of sales himself. He drove slowly past the small square of green in the center of the street, the town park. 
There were no parking spaces in front of Lois TV sales and service. He cursed under his breath and swung the car in a U-turn. Again, he passed the little square of green with its lonely drinking fountain and bench and single lamppost. From the lamppost, something was hanging. A shapeless, dark bundle, swinging a little with the wind, like a dummy of some sort. Lois rolled down his window and peered out. What the hell was it? A display of some sort? Sometimes the Chamber of Commerce put up displays in the square. Again, he made a U-turn and brought his car around. He passed the park and concentrated on the dark bundle. It wasn't a dummy. And if it was a display, it was a strange kind. The hackles on his neck rose, and he swallowed uneasily. Sweat slid out on his face and hands. It was a body, a human body. Look at it, Lois snapped. Come on out here. Don Ferguson came slowly out of the store, pinning his pinstripe coat with dignity. This is a big deal, Ed. This is a big deal, Ed. I can't just leave the guy standing there. See it? Ed pointed into the gathering gloom. The lamppost jutted up against the sky. The post and the bundle swinging from it. There it is. How the hell long has it been there? His voice rose excitedly. What's wrong with everybody? They just walk on past. Don Ferguson lit a cigarette slowly. Take it easy, old man. There must be a good reason or it wouldn't be there. A reason? A reason? What kind of a reason? Ferguson shrugged. Like the time the Traffic uh, Safety Council put that wrecked Buick there. Some sort of civic thing. How would I know? Jack Potter from the shoe shop joined them. What's up, boys? There's a body hanging from the lamp post, Lois said. I'm going to call the cops. They must know about it, 
Potter said, or otherwise it wouldn't be there. I gotta get back in. Ferguson headed back into the store. Business before pleasure. Lois began to get hysterical. You see it. You see it hanging there. A man's body. A dead man. Oh, sure, Ed. I saw it this afternoon when I went out for coffee. You mean it's been there all afternoon? Sure. What's the matter? Potter glanced at his watch. Have to run. See you later, Ed. Potter hurried off joining the flow of people moving along the sidewalk, men and women passing by the park. A few glanced up curiously at the dark bundle, and then went on. Nobody stopped. Nobody paid any attention. I'm going nuts, Lois whispered. He made his way to the curb and crossed out into traffic among the cars. Horns honked angrily at him. He gained the curb and stepped up onto the little square of green. The man had been middle-aged. His clothing was ripped and torn. A gray suit splashed and caked with dried mud. A stranger. Lois had never seen him before. Not a local man. His face was partly turned away, and in the evening wind he spun a little, turning gently, silently. His skin was gouged and cut, red gashes, deep scratches of congealed blood. A pair of steel-rimmed glasses hung from one ear, dangling foolishly. His eyes bulged. His mouth was open, tongue thick and ugly blue. For heaven's sake, Lois muttered, sickened. He pushed down his nausea and made his way back to the sidewalk. He was shaking all over with revulsion and fear. Why? Who was the man? Why was he hanging there? What did it mean? And why didn't anybody notice? He bumped into a small man hurrying along the sidewalk. Watch it, 
the man grated. Oh, it's you, Ed. Ed nodded dazedly. Hello, Jenkins. What's the matter? The stationary clerk caught Ed's arm. You look sick. The body. There in the park. Oh, sure, Ed. Jenkins led him into the alcove of Lois TV Sales and Service. Take it easy. Margaret Henderson from the jewelry store joined them. Is something wrong? Ed's not feeling well. Lois yanked himself free. How can you stand here? Don't you see it? For God's sake! What's he talking about? Margaret asked nervously. The body, Ed shouted. The body hanging there. More people collected. Is he sick? It's Ed Lois. You okay, Ed? The body, Lois screamed, struggling to get past them. Hands caught at him. He tore loose. Let me go. The police. Get the police. Ed. Better get a doctor. He must be sick. Or drunk. Lois fought his way through the people. He stumbled and half fell. Through a blur he saw rows of faces, curious, concerned, anxious. Men and women halting to see what the disturbance was. He fought past them towards his store. He could see Ferguson inside talking to a man showing him an Emerson TV set. Pete Foley in the back at the service counter setting up a new Philco. Lois shouted at them frantically. His voice was lost in the roar of traffic and the murmur around him. Do something, he screamed. Don't stand there. Do something. Something's wrong. Something's happened. Things are going on. The crowd melted respectfully for the two heavyset cops moving efficiently towards Lois. Name? The cop with the notebook murmured. Lois. He mopped his forehead wearily. Edward C. Loyce, listen to me. Back there, address, the cop demanded. The police car moved swiftly through traffic, shooting among the cars and buses. Loyce sagged against the seat, exhausted and confused. He took a deep, shuddering breath. 
1368 Hearst Road. That's uh, here in Pikeville? That's right. Lois pulled himself up with a violent effort. Listen to me. Back there, in the square, hanging from the lamppost. Where were you today? The cop behind the wheel demanded. Where? Lois echoed. You weren't in your shop, were you? No, he shook his head. No, I was home, down in the basement. In the basement? Digging, a new foundation. Getting the dirt to pour a cement frame. Why? What What has that to do with... Was anybody else down there with you? No, uh, my wife was downtown. The kids were at school. Lois looked from one heavyset cop to the other. Hope flicked across his face. Wild hope. You mean because I was down there, I missed uh, the explanation? I didn't get in on it like everybody else? After a pause, the cop with the notebook said, That's right. You missed the explanation. Then it's official. The body. It's supposed to be hanging there. It's supposed to be hanging there for everybody to see. Ed Lois grinned weakly. Good Lord, I guess I sort of went off the deep end. I thought maybe something had happened, you know, something like the Ku Klux Klan, some kind of violence, communists or fascists taking over. He wiped his face with his breast pocket handkerchief, his hands shaking. I'm glad to know it's on the level. It's on the level. The police car was getting near the Hall of Justice. The sun had set. The streets were gloomy and dark. The lights had not yet come on. I feel better, Lois said. I was pretty excited there for a minute. I guess I got all stirred up. Now that I understand, there's no need to take me in, is there? The two cops said nothing. I should be back at my store. The boys haven't had dinner. I, I, I'm all right now. No more trouble. Is there any need of... This won't take long, the cop behind the wheel interrupted. A short process, only a few minutes. I hope it's short, Lois muttered. The car slowed down for a stoplight. I guess I sort of <laughs> disturbed the peace. Funny getting excited like that, and... Lois yanked the door open. He sprawled out into the street and rolled to his feet. Cars were moving all around him, gaining speed as the light changed. Lois leapt onto the curb and raced among the people, 
burrowing into the swarming crowds. Behind him, he heard sounds, shouts, people running. They weren't cops. He had realized that right away. He knew every cop in Pikeville. A man couldn't own a store, operate a business in a small town for 25 years without getting to know all the cops. They weren't cops. And there hadn't been any explanation. Potter, Ferguson, Jenkins, none of them knew why it was there. They didn't know, and they didn't care. That was the strange part. Lois ducked into a hardware store. He raced toward the back, past the startled clerk and customers, into the shipping room and through the back door. He tripped over a garbage can and ran up a flight of concrete steps. He climbed over a fence and jumped down on the other side, gasping and panting. There was no sound behind him. He had got away. And that's where we're going to pause for this week's episode. Pretty different from Winnie the Pooh, right? Philip K. Dick was one of the really great science fiction authors of the 20th century. Maybe the greatest, really. Not all of his stories are as scary as this one, but they all ask a similar question. What is real? Like in this story, everyone can see a dead body hanging in the park, but only Ed Lois is upset about it. So is Ed crazy? Or is something else happening? I guess you'll have to come back for the next two weeks to find out. Let's do some tiny lessons. First, it's time to check out the big picture. So, does this story take place in a city or a small town? Pause the show and think about it. Why do you think so? I think it's a small town in America in the 1940s or 50s. Why? Well, 
at the end, Ed says you can't work in a small town for 25 years without knowing all the cops. And everyone just knows everyone else. Like they do in a small place. How about dancing with me at the Dictionary Disco? Our first word is foundation. And it's actually important for the plot that you know that word. The foundation of a building is the lowest part of it. It's usually made of concrete, and it's usually pretty deep underground, especially in the USA where houses have basements. The second word is hackles, as in the hackles on his neck rose. The hackles are the little hairs on an animal's back and neck that, well, rise when it gets angry or scared. Like when a cat is going to hiss at someone. You know that feeling. When something is just wrong or weird, you can feel it on the back of your neck. Spooky. How about we pause for a melody moment? I'd like to talk about voicing. Voiced and unvoiced consonants are exactly the same, except that when you say a voiced sound, you vibrate your throat. So, like, for example, the difference between t and d. When you say them, your face is exactly the same, except that when you say the d, you kind of vibrate your throat. So d is voiced and t is unvoiced. For example, tear and dear. Try it. Say them. You can touch your neck and feel the difference. Let's try a tiny little quiz. Bear and pear. Which one has the voiced sound at the beginning? Say them. Touch your neck. Yep, it's bear, which means a P and a B make the same sound, except that the B is voiced. Let's go to the credits. Thank you for listening to Season 2, Episode 1 of A Little English. Every episode is produced entirely by me, Edward Cooper Howland, here in Hiroshima, Japan. If you like the show, tell someone about it. A recommendation from a friend is the best way 
to get someone to listen. And I would really appreciate it. The stories that I read are in the public domain, and I get them from standardebooks.org, which is a really good website, and you should check it out. Again, thank you so much for listening. For now, be kind to yourselves and to each other.